Jeff Howard is the director of Craig Mile Fundraising, Marketing and Strategic Consultancy, the UK's longest established fundraising consultants. Jeff's company boasts an impressive track record of helping organisations large and small achieve success in capital appeals and project work. I began by asking Jeff if he could break down a fundraising campaign into its essential components. First phase of a campaign has got to be preparations. Like most things in life, success is built upon sound, thorough preparations. So one has therefore to accept that a period of probably at least four, if not six months, and depending upon the size of the campaign, it could be longer than that, is essential. And during that time, no money is going to come in. But that is preparations in terms of setting up the infrastructure, uh, defining the constituency of support, uh, and doing the basic research and evaluation of potential leaders, potential major donors, and preparing the detailed fundraising strategy. You then move into uh, recruiting your leaderships, and here, de facto, uh, you do some fundraising, and part of the terms of reference for your leaders will be an expectation or a requirement for them to give very early in the process. So one is then into that recruitment of leadership, and that uh, moves naturally into the major gift phase where one covertly is approaching individual sources of money, be they corporates, be they trusts and foundations, be they private individuals, uh, and that's the biggest source of um, major donors, and they need to be developed on a one-by-one basis. You may then be ready to to launch publicly. Whether you are going to launch publicly will depend very much on the cause in question. If it is something of general interest to the population, uh, then yes, uh, publicity is very valuable. Uh, If it isn't, uh, then there may not actually be a great deal of merit in a public launch. But if it isn't a public launch, it is, if you like, spreading the campaign more widely across the constituency of support. Um, and, and that would be your third phase. Your fourth phase would be consolidating and reviewing and follow-up. It, it is almost certain that if it is a capital campaign, there will be an opportunity to uh, cultivate the relationship with people who are first-time donors to the capital campaign uh, and sustain that relationship to feed Uh, the ongoing revenue needs of the organisation. How would he sum up the process of moving from a campaign strategy to actually making it work on a day-to-day level? Success in fundraising is dependent upon really professional management of a huge host of detail, and that has got to be planned well in advance, and whether that's represented by a, a very detailed action plan or a very detailed timetable, it has to be there. Nobody should be going into a fundraising office, particularly for a capital campaign, and be asking the question, well, what shall we do today? They should know what they're going to do today, and that should be all mapped out in advance. Now, that said, one mustn't be overly rigid, because it's important to to, to, to maintain uh, an opportunistic eye on what is unfolding, uh, and therefore be flexible. Uh, But certainly, detailed planning, uh, and that's set out for people to follow. What would he say makes the key difference between a successful fundraising strategy and one that might not work so well? By and large, I would say it's where the plan has been tailored to the unique circumstances and character of that individual organisation rather than an off-the-peg template approach. It's really understanding what, what all the tools in the fundraising kit are about and how they can be applied to, to your circumstances. 
Um, it's quite legitimate for an organisation to take a view, well, this particular sector or this particular technique isn't appropriate. There's no obligation to, to use every uh, possible type of fundraising in, in constructing uh, that strategy. So I think, I think bespoke tailoring is the answer, which can only be achieved if people really understand the processes that are involved. How did this relate to the overall fundraising effort? Fundraising does not, cannot and should not take place in a vacuum. It's got to be integrated with the whole of the organisation. I think it is, it's rather sad sometimes that uh, there is almost a, a class divide in some uh, charitable organisations where the, uh, the, the serious, most important people are those delivering the service of the charity, uh, whilst the fundraisers are uh, the, the lesser folk, if you like, who have to do that dirty work of raising the money to enable the charity to achieve its objectives. Uh, but the, it's got to be integrated. There's also a danger in looking at opportunities outside the organisation because of a new funding source coming on stream and thinking, well, what can we do to get money from that source? If that results in a project being conceived that actually doesn't fit within the, uh, the remit of an individual charity, I think that's inappropriate. Jeff talked about how organisations can vary their fundraising approach to reach new groups. Very often one gets involved with an organisation that has been doing traditional fundraising as they perceive it for many years and that will have manifested itself mainly in fundraising events and they're locked into that actual type of fundraising. I can remember incidents of a cancer care project in, in the South Wales Valleys, in the, in the Rhondda Valleys in fact, where it was a challenging target at that time, some £600,000 to be raised. A feasibility study had indicated maybe 250000 was achievable. Within the first 12 months, £300,000 had been raised, and in the view of local people, without doing any proper fundraising, because we'd actually done some structured approaches to trusts, whereas all they'd previously done was some blanket letters. We'd used some direct marketing techniques which they believed just could not work. The Rhondda Valley at that time was one of the uh, most deprived parts of the United Kingdom and the idea of seeking commitments of £5 a month from people on very limited budgets was ridiculous. In actual fact, it responded very, very well indeed and raised a, a good chunk of the money. So I think it's really opening people's eyes to that whole principle of defining your constituency of support, making sure that every possible source of money is considered and then it is decided, yes, that has potential and then agreeing what should be done for that. Any kind of a strategy involves risks. What steps can be taken to manage the risks in a fundraising strategy? I think risk assessment is probably the most valuable tool to emerge in recent years and it's essential in managing any project, not just the risk assessment but the risk management. Uh, it's important to share uh, that with the whole of a client body, identify all the risks, but also review it very frequently. In some instances, one would have the risk assessment process in place, and in scoring it and in reviewing it on a monthly basis, certain risks will move up if you then order them, and you can actually see what is threatening and what is receding in terms of the, the circumstances surrounding the project. Those are internal factors, external factors... The risk assessment needs to be very comprehensive. I asked him to expand on that. Uh, when one's embarking upon a new project, there's a question of whether one is able to attract sufficiently high-status leadership to assist, let's say, with the major donor work, which we were talking about earlier on. 
Now, if one fails to do that, uh, then it's going to have an impact on the potential of attracting major, major gifts. Uh, it may also lead to a revision in the timetable of the whole uh, campaign. And uh, any timetable that's drawn up has got to be on a provisional basis and is dependent upon achieving certain key objectives at certain key points. External factors, uh, I mean, adverse news about an organisation or a person uh, associated with an organisation needs to be accounted for. What happens if uh, somebody involved with an organisation is caught with their hand in the till? I can remember years ago a very high-profile individual was suddenly accused of uh, undermining the local environment by being associated with a planning application for his huge country estate. And um, he, he contacted the charity in question straight away and resigned. I, I think people being open about things, I think some charities are exemplary, where they share bad news with their donors. I mean, particularly where one has charities involved in delivering projects in, in developing countries, where the nature of the situation is that from time to time, uh, the money is going to not hit its target. Uh, and, and when... They are open with donors that encourages people to carry on supporting them. Jeff talked a bit more about how to ensure that a fundraising strategy achieves results. I don't want to sound glib, but it's absolutely key that the fundraising strategy addresses the issue of implementation. One of the, I think, uh, common problems is that people come up with very, very impressive fundraising strategies, but they are theoretical documents and don't actually address the the reality of of the organisation for which the strategy has been uh, devised. Uh, So implementation is is very important. Very often people will say, well, we're big picture people, you know, that's detail. Well, people often say that the devil is in the detail, and, and it's very true. I think one of the most important things is where there is a common ownership of fundraising throughout an organisation and that uh, the board of trustees are not just pushing out the responsibility of fundraising to to staff or or other external sources and saying, get on with it. Those that, that actually share the responsibility for it and all make a positive contribution to fundraising are those that succeed. I think it's quite a helpful image, that of fundraising being a jigsaw to which everybody can contribute a a positive piece, if it is only a positive attitude towards fundraising and advocacy for it, Uh, so being a jigsaw rather than a bouncing ball that no-one wants to catch. He emphasised the importance of skills like teamwork and communication. Communications are absolutely essential, and people must not be left to carry out their specific responsibility in a team in some sort of unconnected bubble uh, in which they are left to to sink or swim. Um, I think they must be encouraged, sort of, if in doubt, shout, and and they need that support and mentoring uh, all the way down the line. It does return to that issue of ownership as well, though, because if if everybody in an organisation is aware that at the very top people are proud of the fact that they uh, are delivering their mission but also proud of the fact that they are attracting the funds necessary to deliver that mission, that will irrigate the whole organisation and and encourage people to, to work together. And, and again, the risk assessment process, if it is a regular activity, uh, will identify problems that emerge. Here's an example of how this kind of monitoring and evaluation works in practice. I think uh, the strategy is in place. You know what you're going to be doing when uh, to different sectors of your constituency of support. Um, it's important to, to measure the response from that. So uh, at least uh, on a monthly basis, one is analysing donations as they come in. They are telling you, yes, we're getting nothing from the corporate sector, but that's okay because we're not active with the corporate sector at the moment. We're getting a much 
a higher uh, response from private individuals than we anticipated. We had intended, in two months' time, to refocus upon the corporates, or rather to focus upon the corporates, and move away from applying resources to private individuals. But we're seeing that the, the, the response is much higher than anticipated, so we must therefore change tack. We must push the corporates six months down the track, and we must actually uh, commit more of our resources to, to developing what's a much richer scene than, than, than we saw. But it's only by actually analysing and reviewing regularly what's happening that you can take that sort of informed decision. I ended by asking if there was one piece of advice he could offer to someone devising a fundraising strategy, perhaps for the first time, what would it be? In recent years, I think the whole of the voluntary sector has focused too strongly upon methodology and has lost its way a little bit and ignored the case that the reason a charity exists... And uh, I think it's very important that people embarking upon fundraising really focus upon why an organisation exists, what its mission is, who are the people who are going to benefit from the activities of that charity. And then from that uh, will come the opportunity to apply expertise with regard to, to which methods of fundraising will best uh, achieve that mission. From the Open University... For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.